Welcome to the Clear Points Podcast, where we discuss optimizing customer experience by focusing on engagement points along the customer journey. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health, a North Carolina consulting firm that helps healthcare providers and life sciences companies get to know their patients, customers, and key stakeholders and meet their needs more effectively. Clear Points airs on the ParkLife Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Clear Points Podcast. I'm Brian Castle, here with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Kristen Smithwick. How are you today, Kristen? I'm great, Brian. Happy to be here. Happy anniversary, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Brian. And I know you're excited uh, even more so, not just because of your anniversary, but because of the awesome, awesome guest. And I shouldn't really call her guest. She's more like family. Aw, <laughs> she is like family. And I'm so glad she's joining us today. I can't believe we haven't thought of this before now. And that special she is Sharoni Billick. Hello. Owner, president, founder, and supremo of Suprema of Sharoni Billick Healthcare Communications. How are you today, our friend? I'm doing wonderful. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We uh we we are serious. This podcast is about putting a lot of wrongs right today. We should have had you on. We should have launched this podcast. Totally around you. You're so important. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Well, now, now I feel really great. <laughs> yeah, we've always um, admired you. Um, we kind of uh, all discovered each other online. Um, I can still remember you reaching out about five years ago uh, in your role as a consultant to. Uh, of pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies there on the West Coast and beyond. Um, you always come to us with interesting ideas. Um, and just from what I've, I've known about you and, and your way of doing business, uh, you're very versatile. I know a lot of people uh, in your, your end of uh, life sciences will typically focus on medical affairs a lot focused on commercial, and you seem to be able to swim in those waters with uh, equal agility. Is that a fair statement? I think that's a very fair statement. Um, you know, when call it, whether it's just being naturally versatile or just responding to market needs or client needs, yeah, I've done a lot in the marketing space, in the commercial space, in the medical affairs space, in the clinical development space. So, um, so yeah, I just like to be there for my clients and help out where they need help. And, uh, and look, we all have to be versatile, right? I mean, hasn't the last year shown us that we have to. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have been running your own company uh, now for several years. Um, tell us what you think your unique value proposition is or what you, what you offer. Absolutely. So my unique value proposition is really, you know, and, and this is what I say to my clients, like your success is my success. Uh, so, so I really try and get in there and w no matter what the project is or what the need is, take care of all of the logistical, the, the, the technical, those kind of back, the 
the, the background detail strategic direction of whatever project or initiative they have underway um, so that they can really focus on their objectives and goals. So if it's a, uh, you know, a, a product launch and they're trying to do a whole lot of kind of market outreach, let them focus on those top line objectives and I'll take care of the rest. Whether it's publication planning and, oh my gosh, we have all this data, we got to get it out there. I'll take care of planning that timeline and the submissions and working with the medical writers and, the, and all that. And they can just focus on meeting the, those goals of getting abstracts submitted. Um, advisory boards. Let, I'll take care of helping them figure out who to invite, all the invitations, all the background, all the agenda development, and they can focus on just meeting their objectives. So that's really kind of my value proposition. I like to get in. I don't really like to waste time. I'm a little bit of like a type A personality. <laughs> let's get in. Let's focus on what get, what needs to get done, and let's do a great job. And uh, and that's that's how it's worked these past five years. As you were as you were talking about your approach, I, I picture somebody to be effective you almost have to embed yourself within a team and it sounds like you're 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 almost like a general contractor yeah yeah that's actually very well put brian i do like to embed myself within a team i i kind of put myself in in their position you know or or if i'm working with like a team of msls i put myself at like the, at at the kind of the director of the msl team position like oh my god we got to get this done how are we going to get this done really well and quickly and on time and on budget and so on and so forth. And that's, and that's helping. Sometimes there's members on a team that, you know, are a little bit slow to respond or they don't have that sense of urgency. So I'll make sure that they're on it. Okay. <laughs> or, or, or there's somebody on a team that maybe doesn't respond to emails or doesn't, you know, so, so I always try and find those little leaky holes on a team. They're always, you know, there occasionally are some leaky holes and I try and patch those up to make sure that a project um, gets done, you know, really well. Well, you know, we've worked on several projects with you and we know your MO, you know, as people that you've contracted, you know, you contract lots of different kinds of people and we're one of them. And I can kind of feel that as you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, think, I think what's really cool about seeing your approach firsthand is is you are also it's not just that you're giving orders and making sure they're fulfilled you're a great resource um because we always have a lot of questions i think when you 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 know when you work with a lot of smart people and this industry's full of them they always have a lot of questions right Right. Mm -hmm. and so being able to I, i would have guessed that you would have to embed yourself on these teams be able to answer our questions the way you do. There's very little. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to check with the client. Yeah. 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 Think of something real left field, maybe. But most of the time, it's. I think we're gonna stick to this, this, and. You know. Yeah. Well, I make sure. You know, I really never work. I don't work with any clients or on projects where I don't really know what their issue is. And so and so that's why the start of any project I do with a client, I'm really, you know, in our kickoff calls as as part of my SOW, I really want to make sure I understand what their goals are, like what their needs are, what their challenges are, uh, you know, the the, the strengths that they have and the things that they need. And so and so when I come to to you guys, you know, for 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 help on a project. It's because I already know. Okay, this is what's needed, and these are the folks that they're looking for, and these are the disease areas, and the, you know. So, so I make sure that I, because otherwise I can't really be a good partner. 
to my client. If I don't really know what the issue is, then then I don't want anybody to feel like, oh God, we worked with Sharoni and that was just a total waste of time. I never want them to feel that way. <laughs> I want them to feel like, wow, that was amazing. We can't wait to work with her, her next time. So Sharoni, we've done, some of our work has been in some really interesting disease spaces with you. Do you have a, a certain therapeutic area focus or do, do you kind of specialize in certain disease areas or do you have a real, you know, breadth that yeah. you focus on? Well, I, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I just take it as it comes. So, I mean, when coming in, you know, when, when I came, when I started my business five years ago, I had a ton of neurology experience. I had spent many years working in neurology and, uh, and a little bit and also, um, you know, some, some other related kind of some pain and this and that. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I kind of used that as my kind of calling card on an initial project. But what, what, one of my first big clients was somebody that I had known from years past, and that was in cardiology. I hadn't done anything in cardiology. And then that, and then it went into gastroenterology. I didn't have mm-hmm. any of that experience. So I just kind of jump into whatever the market need is. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then I, and I, I learn a lot, you know, I learn a lot. The yep. great thing about working in medical affairs, um, you know, as, as you guys know very well is, you know, you're working with all of these scientists and uh, and medical directors and they're always happy to you know provide all the information and give me the papers and so and so and then when you're talking to the KOLs you just end up learning so much about the area that you're in just by default so 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 I I, I I'm really you know if I look back now at, at my therapeutic area uh, background. I really have worked in so many, but that's really just based <laughs> on the clients that I've had and and the and the, the needs that they've had. Luckily. Which, you know, is probably sort of similar to our phenomenon, which is you, you, we kind of you, you can map our therapeutic areas of focus over the years according to what's really being studied, what products are coming to market, which diseases are kind of hot. Obviously, you know, there have been a lot of new drugs for a number of neurological conditions, cancer as always. Right. Right. Exactly. So I, I you work with a lot of medical affairs customers, so I'm kind of curious, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the specific things that you do with clients and some of what you're seeing there, but what are you seeing right now as some of the top challenges for your medical affairs customers? Because I think we're in a really interesting time to be yeah. in medical affairs. Yeah. You know, it, it's so, it's really interesting, uh, of course. Okay, when I started, you know, we'll we'll get to 2020, and I know the word pandemic, we're all tired of hearing about it. But I started 2020, um, I started 2020 with like a full book of of business, global meetings, all these advisory boards, these big congresses. And then by by middle of March, early April, all of that was like done obviously nobody was traveling, nobody was doing anything. And so I thought, oh my God, you know, and then, and then once after a few weeks of like people waking up, everything shifted in my business, everything went virtual and everything got really busy. So, so I, you know, I think it, I think that, um, I think that, you know, on, on one hand, everybody says, oh God, you know, people, HCPs don't really want to meet with, uh, meet with, Anybody live, obviously, and how is that going to affect our business? But going to virtual has really, I think, opened a lot of doors that that weren't open before because it's easier to get 
you know, KOLs to join an ad board when they don't have to fly to, to Dallas for the weekend. They can just hop on a call for four hours. Um, you can you can get really creative and say, OK, well, we want to do a whole series of ad boards just focusing on this tier two level HCP. Um, so so and, and people can be creative with with how they're talking to different members of the treatment team in, in a much more economical way um, than, than you could before. So so I think the challenge, obviously, the challenge is, OK, when how is it going to get back to some version of normal? How is that going to be? When is that going to be? You know, I just started I'm now starting a whole new series of advisory boards with a client. And as, as part of my SOW, it's like, well, let's include, you know, pricing for a live ad board whenever we get there. Who knows really when that's going to be or what's that going to, you know, what that's going to look like. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that the challenge is how can we stay relevant? How can we still be, uh, you know, how can we take advantage of the situation, the circumstances as they are now to, to, uh, to still get the insights, answer the questions that we have um, in, in, in different ways. Well, so that, that segues neatly in your talk about, uh, live versus uh, uh, virtual ad boards. You've done probably a million advisory boards in your career. I've done so many. Yes. <laughs> um, what do you look for, and in, in specific to uh, uh, whom you advise your clients to invite to these ad boards? What are you looking for as far as who's at the table, virtual or not, to optimize the, their ROI? Uh, on the experience. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's the first thing that I always ask of my clients when we're doing an ad board. And I'm always so happy when they think of this before I have to ask them, but like, what are your objectives? Because there's so many times where a team will say, okay, we want to do an ad board. Da, 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 da. Okay. Well, what questions should we ask? And they, they come to me with this and, I, and I'll say, well, you know, you have to know what questions you need to ask. You need to know your objectives. I can kind of help you. I know your phase three, your you filed your NDA. I can kind of assume I know your questions, but they really need to know their their their, their objectives and their key questions. And once you have, and those really need to be like specific, like a list of three to five things. Like this is what we need to know. And based on that, then you know, then you can advise somebody. You can say, well, based on this, I think you're going to need you know these tier one top KOLs, or you're going to maybe want to talk to more of these rising stars, as we call them. But the most important thing above all, uh, and this is only once you know a therapeutic area and you know already who the key players are, is you want to find the KOLs who are who are not only influential and knowledgeable and highly experienced, but you want those that can really be um, an advocate for, for you and your brand and your company. And, and I, what I mean by that is not just like, you know, talking about it with our colleagues, but we'll really, really care about, for instance, their patients. And really know what their patients are going through or people afflicted with the disease and what are their issues and how can we best reach them? How can we best help them? Th those are the best ones because because they're they're really uh, they're 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 caring. They want to make a difference and they're willing to walk with you as a company on your on your journey. Right. Your journey to market, you know, the life cycle of a drug. And, and those can be really effective across the company. They can they can support you in medical affairs. They can support you on the payer side. Uh, so, so those kinds of KOLs are the best. 
and they, they don't have to be that tier one KOL. They can be that, you know, that emerging KOL. Uh, but, but they're the ones that know where are the patients getting their information? What are the gaps in treatment? What are, you know, what, how can we, what are the best societies to be involved with? Um, those are the ones that really are the jewels uh, that, and you really only know who those are once you've played around in a therapeutic area long enough to get to know who the KOLs are. So to that point, Sharoni, I mean, you obviously work with a lot of customers who might not know who all the KOLs are. Right. What, do you, what kinds of things do you try to pull together to help them understand that space to get to the place where hopefully you've at least, if you don't have a full advisory board of all of those kind of perfect tens, you've at least got some of those ideal KOL sitting at the the virtual or live table. What, how do you make sure that you're doing that to help, help them do that, I should say. Right. Right. Well, you know, for, you know, once we have a list of names, okay. And that are, you know, obviously curated by, you know, by whether it's geography or publications or however we get, get it. Um, if, if, if I don't know them and they don't know them, then, you know, then something that we've actually started doing recently is like little quick, um, little quick kind of interviews. Like, are you, we're, we're planning an advisory board. Are you interested in joining? And if they say yes, can we have a quick call just to kind of discuss a little bit? And then let's get a sense, right? If, if you get on the phone call with somebody or a, a Zoom call or whatever, and they're kind of, you know, they're not really making eye contact. They're not really answering questions. They're rushed or they're flaky and they cancel. You're like, well, you know, that that's kind of a sign that that might not be the right kind of advisor. But if you find somebody who's who's gracious and yes, and, and, and you know, is talking and sharing and providing good insights and information, then that's a sign that that could be a good person to work with. And so once we do get that list of, of advisors, another thing that I always do before an advisory board, especially in the virtual space, is we do a quick one-on-one touch base with the advisor, you know, two weeks before the meeting and just remind them what are the objectives of this meeting and then kind of remind them what we're looking for. So, so the worst is to get on an ad board, join an ad board, and there's somebody who's like not really saying much, right? Right. Or, or like only like when you wasted money yeah. on that space exactly. at the table. <laughs> exactly. And that's no fun. And so, and so, and so I always encourage them, you know, the pu- purpose of this meeting is to hear from you. Obviously you'll be presented some data, this and that, but we want to hear your conversation with the other advisors on the call. We want to hear your thoughts or opinions. And so really encourage them that that's what we want. And, um, and, and then that usually lends itself to then, because the best in an ad board is, is uh, to have everybody kind of the, the my client's kind of quiet and the advisors are talking amongst themselves and asking each other questions that those are the best. And so we create that environment by encouraging them, letting them know that that's what we want, um, you know, and, and a really, really great out, you know, outcomes come with that kind of approach. Like you don't have to wait to ask a question, just ask a question. And I had really, I, I can think of in, in this last year of virtual um, ad boards, I've had almost great almost all of them have been great because we've had that great engagement and uh and any of the kind of people that seem a little bit funky somehow they just kind of drop off you know it kind of what you're describing almost sounds like instead of i know the pharmaceutical companies putting on the advisory board but it almost begins to feel like their own dinner party (laughs) they're just kind of they're having their own debate about what works what the patients need what's missing how this could work how it wouldn't work how can you make it go faster? How could you, 
So do you have a set of like go-to questions that you ask in those interviews before you really settle on who you're inviting to the advisory board? Because I think that's a, a really high touch, special step in an area where you don't know all the KOLs. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing, obviously, is the first thing you want to make sure is, do they really know this disease space? Do they really, whether if we're in the clinical world, if we're if we're, if we're meeting about uh, clinical trials or disease, you know, strategy, do they know that space? So we'll come up with a couple of questions on that front. And then, you know, what's their experience with advisory boards? Like, do they know, do they know that what, what this world is like or, you know, and then, and then, um, you know, are they, you know, are they interested in, in sharing? Are they interested in being a part of our journey as a company? And um, and and th- those are generally the kinds of questions that we ask. And uh, and you know and then like t- you know how, how well do you know your patients? How well do you know kind of what their treatment journey is like? Because that that's when you know it, and it, it sounds a little cheesy to say, but if they need to have their heart in it, I think I think in order to really to really to really be beneficial to a company, they really have to care about their, what their patients are going through to know that there are gaps in their treatment and how can this drug or this therapy or this approach improve their, uh, you know, their treatment. And, uh, and so asking those kinds of questions helps, helps help us to get a sense, you know, because some advisors just do it because they're getting paid yeah. you know, in an honorarium. You don't want those. Right. They're not actually going to give great advice. They're not going to, advocate for your company in any way, yeah. shape, or form, much yeah. less maybe their own patients, which would be like the worst. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some that are just doing it like, oh, there's a way I can make a few, yeah. few extra bucks by jo- joining this advisory board. And those, you really don't want to have those, you know? And, and so the the most we can do to, to, to avoid having those, we try and do. And sometimes those guys just fall off naturally anyways. So. Yeah, I would imagine you kind of, they figure out quickly with that more high touch approach that you have to determine who to invite. If they're not willing to spend that kind of time with you in a good faith way, they they probably just go ahead and take themselves out of the whole process. Cause don't exactly. figure they've got all of that. They got to keep doing that kind of high touch approach. So exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I love where you're taking that on a human level. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, a, this is a, so much about this profession is hard science and soft right. human skills to complement in order to collaborate and, and make better products and, and and get better outcomes. I recently had an experience, and I think I've shared this with you, Kristen. I was referred to uh, an endocrinologist a few months ago, and he, you know, and, and all the doctors now, what do you do? They want to know how you're mistreating your body all day at work, uh, being sedentary. In my case. <laughs> um, and so I told him, you know, we're a consulting firm, pharmaceutical industry. We do things like compliance for speakers bureaus and advisory boards and things. And he said, oh, well, I'm actually on a speakers bureau. And it turned out it was for a client of ours. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, he, he was so passionate about it. And he said, you know, he, he was the opposite of that kind of mercenary you're describing. And he was saying, you know, I'm close to 50. I never, ever, ever would have thought I would go work for uh, any of the companies. I just didn't kind of think that was my job. And over time, I had developed such deep respect for this particular one. And he said, I 
I've told myself if they ever invited me to do anything, I would do it for them. Because oh, I just well, that's a great success story for them. Mm. Yeah, it was a huge. That's kind of like the holy grail of what you're looking for, right, Sharoni? <laughs> Absolutely. No, those 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 are the gems, and especially and especially if they are good speakers and they can they can command. And I mean, then you you know then 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 the relationship just keeps going on. You know, I mean, presentations, data, so on and so forth. Clear Points is brought to you by ClearPoint Health on the Park Life Podcast Network. CPH has been a leader in healthcare customer experience for nearly two decades. Contact us today at clearpointhealth.com to learn more about our work to help you optimize virtual engagement of key stakeholders during COVID-19. Let's turn the page. Let's look at what you, there's so much to talk to you about. I want to ask you about um, your work with MSLs. I think that's very interesting, too. There's a lot of demands on these folks. We know it uh, from our work, not only in terms of the pandemic, the whole virtual versus live thing. Um, They've got such a crunch on the time, the FaceTime they're able to get with KOLs. Um, there's just a lot of pressure from a lot of different directions on these folks. And I know uh, companies outsource their onboarding and training to you. Um, and so what do you think, you know, if you're building the perfect MSLs for companies, they've given you the clay to work with, what do you like to see coming your way? And then what tools do you help them acquire during their time with you? Well, I think MSLs are, I mean, a great MSL is awesome. I mean, they're, they're so unique. They are, I mean, I would say most importantly, they have a sense of urgency. They're not time wasters. They get to the point. They're obviously nice and like have great communication skills and know how to crack a joke, have great conversation starters, but they're very detail oriented and, um, and focused and to the point. So, I mean, I worked with, I worked with MSLs who are the nicest people, but they like, but th- th- their head is in the cloud somewhere and those, they don't make, they don't last very long. And then I worked with other MSLs who are very diligent and who are very organized, but who are so serious and stressed out by, I think, that level of organization that they, you can't get them to like, you know, they just, they just they need to lighten up a little bit. So I think that the perfect MSL is obvious, you know, is, as I said, somebody who's really intelligent on it, knows their data. I mean, that's the most important thing. You really have to know your data. You have to be like a product expert or a disease state expert, wherever you are in the life cycle. And you have to, you have to know how to smile. You have to know how to have a conversation. You have to know how, you have to know what's important as an MSL to the HCP that you're meeting with. Uh, you know, you have to know their communication preferences because as an MSL, it's really not about you. It's about who you're meeting with, who you're presenting to. So knowing what's important to them, what's on their list, how do they like to receive information and how can I be a value to them? Uh, and then and then on, on the on the flip side, how can I be a value to my company and get the information that they need? What kind of insights can I bring back to the company? So it's really a unique skill set. And I think that a lot of those things, those uh, those traits can be 
uh, improved and fine-tuned and trained, like communication skills, presentation skills, all of that. You know, a lot of that's inherent, but a lot of it can also be cultivated with the right training and the right conversation skills and the right, you know, the right molding. But when it, when it, you know, when it really truly comes down to it, what makes a great MSL is really who that person is. Um, I don't think you could take somebody who's, who's, as I said, somebody who's heads in the clouds and like make them a great MSL. That just, maybe that's just not the right role for them. Um, it's somebody that, that really has their, their eye on the ball, knows what needs to get done, that can do it with a smile and knows how to have a good conversation, knows the latest sports scores, if that's the conversation starter, <laughs> you know, you have to be, you know, because it, it, an MSL, in a sense, you got to have that. You got to know how to schmooze and have those good, those good conversation skills, like like a sales rep would have. But then you also have to be that product expert and that and that um, and that real science based person. So it's really a unique, a really a unique uh, skill set for for a great MSL. There's very little like it in the the rest of the world. And Kristen, as she was saying all that, like all of those things. You know, Sharoni, you know us from our secondary research. We do a lot of primary research. We're all the time in conversation with KOLs, either interviews, surveys, whatever. And out of all the qualities they're looking for, the very biggest pile, there's a bunch of questions that roll up into authenticity. Like that's what we find over and over again. And empathy centered on me uh, and my needs. Um, Balanced, trustworthy. It all rolls up to. Count on you, you know, like they're never going to fill me with bad information. Um, We just see that over and over again. Were you going to jump in too, Kristen? Well, I was going to ask a question because I think one of the things we wrestle with in in our primary research and, you know, delivering that research to our client. Um, is this struggle on our client's part to have as much information about a KOL to equip an MSL to be able to to kind of already know things like communication preferences, interest areas, um, what what's really important to them about the scientific area or patient care, and then kind of what you're describing, which is you kind of have to have the the art part of that communication skill, you can have all the information that companies like ours could give you, but if you can't really figure out how to work with that, it doesn't necessarily make you successful in creating that engaged relationship with the MSL. So my question for you was going to be, what are you seeing with your clients in terms of striking that balance between having information about the KOL that helps an MSL be really prepared and planful when they're reaching out and then kind of having a more personal approach from the MSL to collect some of that data as part of their relationship development. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that, that's just a unique and, and, and like I, I'm, I'll say again, I don't think that that can be trained into a person. I think somebody either knows how to do that and has just in natural people skills to know how to engage with that KOL knows the right questions to ask um, knows how you know knows how to read body language or tone and say okay well maybe I should stop there you know and get to the point um, 
it's it's really just innate people skills, and 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 I and I don't I don't think that you you can't really teach that. I mean, you can certain things you can teach, but I think that just inherent in a person's uh, you know what they call it emotional intelligence, however you want to call it, um, the ability to read read the room or read the KOL or you know or or know in advance. Okay, this is a you know this is the question I'm going to ask, and oh, if they're feeling real chatty, I'll ask this question. But if they're not, I'm going to stop and go here. And you have you have to play. It's a little bit you know like play, play out different scenarios in your head. When I talk to this KOL, if they ask me this question right away, I know I'm going to go down this road. But if they feel like they're they're chatty, I can have I'll have these questions to ask. And you just have to have, you have to be prepared. You have to have like a little toolkit of, 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 of strategy or approaches based on, based on how that KOL is responding to you. And what, to what degree are you um, having to incorporate advice for onboarding MSLs around digital or social media engagement of their KOLs? Yeah, so I always encourage um, I always encourage my my clients to look at that because I think because that that can help you like learn a little bit more about their personality. I mean, you know, like for a lot of the the KOLs or advisors that 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 my clients bring on, they have their Twitter accounts and this and that, and most of them a lot of the time are posting just scientific articles and here you know, but but if they're posting, for instance, a lot. they're they're posting things all day long, you know, they're really into social media and, you know, they're probably pretty chatty, friendly person. You, you, you can maybe it's safe to assume. So I always think it's important to look at those things. Um, Yeah. Whenever, whenever, you know, whenever I create little bios for my clients with advisors, I always include any social media handles that they have and encourage them to look at those. You know, it's, it's all like a little, it's all a little, uh, little value things you can throw into your toolkit when you meet with those KOLs. I love the concept of the toolkit. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. So you, you train and facilitate lots of different groups, not just MSLs on this whole notion of KOL engagement. And, you know, that kind of, kind of depends on what, field you're in, whether it's pharma, biotech, devices, diagnostics, or geographic especially, uh, there seems to be more of a wall in a lot of cases between medical affairs and marketing. The size of the company can dictate that. So just think universally, if you're advising somebody, whether they're an MSL, a sales rep, or kind of a strategic person at headquarters uh, with KOL, engagement if you if you had three things you were gonna tell that person what would those three things be i mean the most important thing is obviously no you know and this is at the start of any KOL engagement ad board you know meeting at a congress whatever it is know what your objective is um, that's the most important thing. Know what you know what you're looking what a what your questions are what your objective in meeting with this person is um, if it's just data sharing, if it's asking questions, if it's getting strategy, advice, whatever it is, but know specifically what your question is, A. B, uh, you know, make it about them and not you, right? I mean, if you want somebody to open up to you, you have to ask them questions about them. That's how, that's how people open up. So make it about them and, and C, you know, invite them to kind of join you on this quote unquote journey that that you're going on. Um, Whether you're starting with, as I said, a clinical trial, a publication, you know, help them get, 
get interested in being part of that journey because that's how then you create this this great powerful th- I mean I've had I've I've seen amazing things happen where we we do a investigator meeting and one of the investigators the conversation happens and then before you know it a year later there's all kinds of partnerships happening and studies and this guy is coming to speak at the payer meeting and you can get so much great cross functional value within a company by by um, by just having those kind of open conversations and creating an environment where that KOL feels appreciated, valued, um, and and uh, and 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 really, you know, that, that you're interested in their feedback. And if they're interested in sharing it, then you know, great things can happen as you as you continue your development. I think what you're talking about <clears throat> is appealing to this quality that is. Or, is inherent in thought leaders and KOLs. And that's wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Like, you know, to shape a whole therapeutic area, you know, to really change the dynamics of their practice or the way their hospital approaches patient care. They're the ones that are putting, I like to tell people thought leaderships do things, doing the freaking work and then being expressive about it. And they're the people who naturally speak up, whether that's literally speaking at an advisory board, a speaking engagement or publishing all the, or social media now. And so I think that's cool that the approach is very, like come be a part of this team. Here's what we're trying to do to do something bigger. We know you are too. Yeah, you know, I, and I think for so many KOLs, you know, every, their day to day is is just patient care, you know, one on one patient care, and so joining, partnering with a pharmaceutical company in these efforts, it, it helps them, as you said, um, Brian, it helps them um, get, get, you know, do something on a different level, right? A lot of them, for instance, maybe don't know much about the pharmaceutical industry, and like that exposes them to a whole different world, or or you know, it lets them have an impact one person on a, as you said, a much bigger scale. So it's just a different, it, it, it adds more color to their, to their life. And I think, um, you know, a lot of them at different stages of their career, they're interested in that. They're interested in, in adding a new dimension to their professional career. So let's wrap up with a, a getting your thoughts. I, I love talking to smart people who've been doing what they do for a little while because they're always thinking about the future and they're the ones who look back and go, yeah, I would have never thought five years ago we'd be doing this, but here we are. So do you see the pandemic having some lasting effects? Like we can tell you from our latest research, and we're not talking to every KOL in the world, but this is a building in, a building number. Um, about half are saying, I'd be fine to keep all this stuff virtual. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that will abate a little bit? Or do you think virtual is here to stay and that companies need to be able to pivot based on the needs of their KOLs? And then second, what else are you thinking as far as uh, companies' ability to engage different types of stakeholders, whether that's digital influencers, patients, 
folks who are also important to shaping their futures like KOLs have been? Well, on the first question, I think that what the, you know, because I mean, for years, years and years, there was always talked about virtual this. Oh, we can do a virtual ad board. Everybody always talked about it, but nobody did it because, you know, you could not replace that face to face, that flying out for the weekend, that whole thing. And then what this when this forced us all to go virtual, it showed us, oh, well, we can do it. And it actually works pretty well. Um, you know, it actually works pretty well, A, and, and that there's many benefits to it, okay, A, the cost, and I'm speaking from a pharmaceutical perspective, not from my perspective, but the cost of, of running an ad board, a virtual ad board, or a virtual program is like, is like one third, okay, of, of a live meeting, because you're not flying everybody out, hotel, you're just paying for a few hours of people's time, and their honoraria, that's kind of it. Um, so, so the cost, I think the cost benefits of virtual, I don't think you can see those benefits and say, oh, we're going to go back to everything being live again. That just would be silly. That would be a bad financial decision. Then on the other hand, you can't, when you're doing really important meetings, like your launch planning meetings, or you're in, you know, you're having a big clinical trial investigator meeting, there is something to be said about the value of being face to face. So I think when it comes to those really pivotal, important meetings, those phase three meetings, those, you know, launch meetings, live is important because because you have that engagement. You have those dinners and the meetings and the the, the conversation in the hallway. So I think those will once once we do get back to some version of normal, we will have those kinds of meetings. But I think that virtual are definitely here to stay for kind of all the other stuff. Because you can get, you can still get great insights in a three or four hour virtual ad board, great insights without, you know, without taking up everybody's time and weekend and so on and so forth. And it allows companies to be really kind of creative about the way you get your insights. That's going to your second question, Brian. So, you know, I had a client that I worked with um, last year who, who they, you know, they took this approach of, well, we want to reach out to these like kind of tier two and tier three um, HCPs in this disease area. And so we did a 10, a 10 virtual meeting series, um, reaching out to these tier two, tier three uh, KOLs, not, or or HCPs rather, they weren't even KOLs around the country. And I'm sure that they would never have done that in the, in the live setting. You know, they, they, that would have been way too expensive. But but this allowed them to do that. And they actually got great insights from talking to these tier two, tier three HCPs around the country. So I think I, I think it gives you the ability to be really creative. And this is on the med- medical side and on the marketing side. You know, you can say, oh, well, you know, we've, we're really interested. Like, let's talk to these this nursing, the, the nurses. Let's maybe think about doing a, you know, bringing in so you know, this group or that group. It gives you the ability in the virtual world to, to be creative about the kind of audiences that you're looking to, to getting. And you can do breakout rooms and bring people together and put them apart. And so I think that, I think that's, I think I'm, I really recommend to my clients virtual, I think is fantastic. It's, it's less expensive for everybody. It's easier on everybody's schedule. And you can, you can be really creative with, with, with the audience and your approach. And if it doesn't work, it's like not a huge loss. Well, it's amazing what kind of things happen when we shake free of our orthodoxy sometimes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I have to say, Kristen, I will just speak for you and say we've never had so much fun on this podcast. (laughs) We have had a good time. (laughs) 
Try to we gotta do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna say you have to come back and that's not your choice. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I would love to. Thanks everybody for joining us for Clear Points podcast. We'll be back soon with more episodes and evidently with Sharoni too at some point. Thanks again, Sharoni. Kristen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Sharoni. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to Clear Points on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you won't miss our next episode coming soon. Clear Points is a production of Clearpoint Health and the Park Life Podcast Network.